Welcome to the C21 Podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Today we hear from Black Sheep Productions' Saryogev, plus writers Shira Haddad and Draw Mishani about their two new Israeli dramas, Innermost and A Body That Works, both screened at Series Mania in Lille this week. And from RTE Head of Drama David Crean and Icelandic producer Aurora Narsen, live from the event. Innermost is a new Israeli drama about everyday life in modern-day Tel Aviv, using untrained actors and mixing scripted with documentary to tell six interconnected stories. Made by Israel's Black Sheep Productions, which also has a Berlin-based offshoot called Electric Sheep, the show was in development as a movie prior to the pandemic, but morphed into a series which the company decided to self-fund. Black Sheep co-founder Saryugev spoke to Michael Picard about why the firm decided to go down this route and premiere the title at Series Mania in Lille this week without a broadcaster or streamer on board. My name is Saryugev, I'm a producer, I'm based in uh, both Tel Aviv and Berlin. I have a company in uh, Tel Aviv called Black Sheep Film Productions and in uh, Berlin it's uh, the name of the company is Electric Sheep. We are doing features, TV series and documentaries, a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was going to say, just, yes, I mean, just introduce us to Black Sheep then. What kind of stuff are you doing? What kind of stories are you, are you looking to tell? I guess the stories that we are mainly focused on are the stories that really, that really move something uh, within us. So basically, it's very, something very general and everybody wants to move. But as we really, really handpick on everything that we are doing, we are also handpicked on everything that we are watching. And we believe that we, if we can get uh, excited or moved by something, then probably our audience also. So we did, uh, but we did all kinds of genres. So we were doing comedies and dramas, both in cinema and in uh, television. And uh, luckily, audience was quite okay and sometimes even more uh, both in Israel and outside so we have now a third season of a TV series uh, we are doing in Israel a very successful course is dismissed and it's won uh, last year in 10 Academy Award in Israel including the best dramedy uh, and we are now just we are about to shoot it in, uh, in half a year and we are also uh, in another TV series that we are in the middle of the writing and it's going to be show and we're going to shoot it next uh, next year in a year from now and uh, Innermost is the series that we are here for it's a it's a series that we are releasing it now in the series many it's a six pieces six uh, six times uh, 45 minutes we are shooting now film in bulgaria which is an israeli bulgarian uh, feature film world war ii yeah i can i can keep on for uh, for half an hour but i guess that's you know i'm gonna waste all the time on what what we are doing and i don't want to be uh <laughs> no it sounds like you're very busy yet. and tell us then a bit about how you know you decided to set up a german output for your for your work as well how did that relationship come about and how are the two you know the two companies working together across israel and germany the, two, the german company uh, we didn't establish it in order to uh, collaborate with the israeli company it's different it's two different entities and we uh, we cooperate only if there is a reason a real reason but we are trying to do our stuff here in germany uh, and i'm based in berlin right now do our stuff in germany and with no relation to the to the israeli company and vice versa innermost is a, a project that came from previous collaboration between the two companies or three companies 
two in Germany and one uh, in Israel. So we kept on with the uh, with the production of the series as well. But we basically uh, we we open an entity in Germany because we want to explore the opportunities. And as we are really, uh, as I say, handpick on what we are doing and really really close to the content of the people that we are working with, and we have some kind of method that we are fulfilling um, not only in Israel but also here in Germany. So it's it's open up the the opportunities. And the last project that we did in electric ship with no connection to the Israeli company was a Slovak Czech German co-production a feature film called Victim. It was the Slovakia entry for the Oscar. Didn't went to the Oscar as we all know, but it was the their choice. And, and travel in Venice and Toronto and win won the the grand prize here in Hamburg in the festival. So we are basically we're looking for challenges. As uh, you know, and uh, this is a challenge for us. It's, it's, it's another way to tell stories, another way to, to be where our hearts want to be and where, where, where there's a good story. We want to be there. Yeah. And, and you know, working across different countries and, and you said you look, you're, you're up for challenges. What, what are the challenges that you're kind of dealing with at the moment in the industry, whether in Israel, Germany, or just general, you know, that everyone would be feeling? What are the things that you're facing at the moment? I will divide it to the two countries. In Israel, definitely right now, the political situation, which we, it's not the reason of, of uh, the podcast, so I won't dive into it. But it, it definitely affects the way the television are uh, referring the content. And if uh, and it's make them a bit uh, slower in the decision whether to take a show or not to take a show because they don't know exactly what's going to be, what's going to be tomorrow. And that's uh, fear is basically really kind of paralyzed sometimes the decision makers. And it goes all the way to us. In Israel, another challenge that we have is the competition. The competition is crazy. In television, in uh, feature films, there's a lot, a lot of uh, people who knows how to tell stories, and there's not too many slots because we are uh, Israel is not a big uh, country. So we really have to uh, invent ourselves all the time and really think not like a producer and a filmmaker, but also as commissioning editors. What can work really right now, and what can be what can be outstanding among the other content uh, that they are getting because there's a lot. Here in Germany, I guess it's it's also the competition for the money as it going down all the time. And uh, both television and funds are in the competition, much more uh, people that are trying to get the money. And um, distribution is not as it used to be before the before the Corona time. And it's hard to structure, I would say, feature, feature films uh, structure for us. Uh, harder than, than it used to be and uh, it's the same struggle sometimes we have to uh, fight both in Israel and Germany in I would say in conservative way of storytelling and when we come up with something which is more innovative and more genuine it's hard to convince because people uh, look too much for the safe what is safe and what is uh, secure and how not to uh, take uh, risks and we are taking risks in what we are doing both I mean this is what we are doing producers and that's what we are doing in black sheep and electric sheep we take risks mm. it's not always goes with what the television wants yeah yeah and i i guess you know if we come on to innermost then which is going to have its world premiere at, at series mania i mean that sounds like um it's been quite a risk for 
for you to to sort of get that to air because as I understand it, there was a quite a an interesting development process, you know, affected by COVID. Um, I mean, maybe you can tell us about the origins of the project and, and how it came to be a TV series. Yeah, we started as a, with a with an idea that came from uh, Yaron Shani. Yaron Shani did a jammy uh, 11 years ago and was nominated with the Oscar in 2010. And um, he came and he basically, he did, uh, at the time, a jammy was a film that was shot chronologically uh, with non-actors and basically captured the moment. And he came with the idea with, with six stories that interwine and we thought between us at the beginning let's do a television series a TV series out of it because there's a lot of content and uh, it wasn't the right time because television we understood that it's too it's too early and we we felt and we got also the feedback that it's not the right time for uh, for that kind of series and so we went to the cinematic path and we went into one long film and we showed that in a most it was the love trilogy the, the film is called the love trilogy we shot one film and during the shooting we understood that they, they're, we're creating much more we, we create a new content new content that came up from the from the incident from the characters from the because they work without a script when we had a script by the character they didn't know anything about it it's important to say all of them were non-actors so they didn't have any kind of uh, idea or technique about how to uh, act they just just uh, instead of uh, acting they were being in the situation so during the shooting, we felt, and when we started editing, we understood it's not one film, it's three films. Otherwise, we would end up with a five hours film or four hours film, which is not something that a uh, cinema can accept, or at least, you know, make a travel, make an exploitation. So we edited the three films, and when we went out, the first film went to Venice, the second went to Berlinale, the third was, went to Busan, and then COVID starts. And uh, basically, it shut down most of the sales and it shut down distribution. So we end up with hardly sales, hardly distribution, basically a minimum uh, exploitation, a minimum approach to the audience. And during the COVID, we were beside being mourning for the for the idea that we uh, kind of lost the three films that we worked on them for four or five years. We said, let's go back to the material. Let's take the three films. Let's take the extra materials that we shot because we shot over 350 hours of materials and let's re-edit it and go back to the to the first idea of the interwined stories, six interwined stories that kind of emerge between themselves and we move from one story to another and we, we cut it for, I think, more than two years. And uh, the minute we were ready, we basically submitted to Serious Mania because we knew it's, it's uh, I mean, I'm not objective, but it's uh, it's kind of a magnet the, to those who watch it. But we didn't want to wait for uh, any kind of decision from uh, from television or any other body. So we decided to finalize it ourselves. So that's what we did. And we finalized it and we submit to Serious Mania and Serious Mania got us in. And from here, um, I hope it will be not easy way, but less hard. Yeah. So so there's no broadcaster at the moment attached. Not yet. <laughs> wow. Not yet. And, and have you got a distributor? Is someone sort of looking to get those deals for you at the moment? Or is that you yourself doing that? No, no, no. We are, we're looking for distributor and uh, we <laughs> definitely we are talking with some and uh, and uh, yeah, we are we're hoping to get one that uh, will help, yeah. uh, help us to exploit and to, uh, to spread it to the world. And if um, I understand correctly, then, so the Finnish series is all based around Israeli society and, and modern life in, in Tel Aviv. Can you uh, just explain a bit more about the story and, and the characters that we meet along the way? Yes, it's six six stories into one. Okay. We start with two in the first episode, another one, three in the second episode, and then from the from the third on, there are six oh. uh, stories into one. And it's it's 
it's basically on what is happening on on the apartment next door the things that we are not knowing that we don't know about that we know any anything about it and it's about um, it's about people that seeking for some kind of comfort and sometimes some kinds of uh, of uh, engagement and some kind some kind of love and sometimes that pushes us to really a very critical and very dramatical point of what we are doing and and the way I see it it's kind of you know, analyze or, or portray the, the the underlying waves that are going this in the Israel society and probably in this way or another in every society differently because it's definitely affected from the from the language or from the culture from the behavior of the people in Israel I guess in every country there is but we are feel more close and, uh, and closer and we, we're familiar with what's going on in, um, in the Israel society so that's the story and the stories are interwoven between, between themselves the, the the story that we start with it's about the policeman that um, that is trying to uh, is going into fatal process with his uh, with his wife and they are looking for, to get a, a child of their own. And he, uh, quite at the beginning, is uh, basically is suspected by uh, doing a sexual harassment to uh, to kids and start to chase him as, while his life is collapsing. He's trying whatever he can to hold uh, his life. And another story about the writer that basically she has a flashbacks of uh, of a sexual uh, so that she had and uh, her life is also start to kind of melt down and they interwine between the self and another story of a young musician he's 18 years old he's, uh, he's going to enlist the army uh, and he doesn't want to go to the army because it doesn't feel this is the right place place for him and his story is basically touches the story of the of other characters in this so and there's three more stories that are there and it's all the time move from one to another and I believe create the context of full life and stories that everybody can identify with even if you or you wouldn't do the same things that the characters uh, were doing in the in the film and it's important to say those people are completely uh, amateurs in terms of acting they will not act every single word that they were saying it was their words. Of course your own director created the triggers and created a psychological uh, era but it's not something that they quote from the from the text. So that's that's what um, I believe. That's what that's what create the magnet to those who watched it and will watch it hopefully. Yeah, yeah. I mean, tell us about um, you know working with your own because the show has been described as a bit of a uh, as blurring the boundaries between kind of drama, fiction, and and sort of a documentary kind of style that you've sort of alluded to. I mean, and I guess using non-professional actors would feed into that kind of realism around the show I mean what was that like working with him and I know over so many years and and evolving the project so many times so uh, we shot the, the project chronologically for uh, almost a year it was 10 or something um, months that we shot and we shot by the events meaning if we have to leave a character for four months in the film we left the character for four months if a ca- character would need to change physically then we let the car- character the time to change physically and then we went back it was for us as producers, it was mm, everything was new. Everything was against the classical conservative uh, way of producing film or TV, TV series because we didn't know what will be tomorrow and no one knew what will be tomorrow. Basically, I won't try to portray some kind of guidelines and within the guidelines, the characters um, act. 
and the characters sometimes invent their own actions, meaning there's a, there's like a, a, a sequence in the in the series where the when the policeman feels uh, in a certain point he went he was at his experiment when he separated from uh, he took like a, a temporary separation from his uh, wife and he told you oh listen I I don't feel right to stay here so we asked him where where you where you supposed to be where where's the the, the best place for you he said I I need to go to a hotel I can't stay with my parents and the parents were not the parents of course so. On the same day, the production went to find the right hotel and we moved, the whole company moved to, um, to a cheap hotel to uh, shoot a new scene of Rashi in a hotel where he felt he has to be. And so things were differently, completely different from what we used to. Uh, the characters the sometimes, not sometimes, most of them basically had an effect on how their apartment going to look like, what kind of things they're going to have in the apartment. Not that it's only particular in a, the the set designer the set uh, the other director they decided with the director and with the set the set dresser so it was try to follow uh, the stories and follow the characters without completely set plan mm-hmm. and we are producers at the end of the day we need to get to the to the bottom line knowing that we have a TV series or a film not something I mean it's not an experience that I will do you know every few years it's an experience that probably it's an experience for me that you know once or twice in a lifetime mm-hmm. this is this isn't a new model of production that you're going to be following uh, anytime soon then this is this was very much a one-off <laughs> <laughs> that's an that's an Adventure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, just going back to that, I guess the risk element. Were there times that you were obviously looking at the way the project was unfolding and thinking, you know, are we going to get this done? Should we get this done? No, because I would. I have to say that Tiron is a very, very. Uh, he's aware of production and he knows that uh, we have to work in a in a full collaboration. And uh, and of course we we had lots of uh, discussions and and uh, and and arguments, of course. But uh, he needed us as we needed him and it was clear but you know understanding that we had 350 hours of material understand that we creating new days shooting days all the time we realized that maybe the the initial plan uh, cannot work initial plan of the film the initial plan of the tv series in the beginning at the end we find ourselves with the, with the tv series but we understood that we we cannot tell the story within a frame of uh, 120 minutes so that's basically pushes us to make decisions along the way to, to make us able to, to fulfill or to get into the to the, the deadline the finals so uh, there was not we, we didn't have a big fear of uh, of uh, I would say collapse but we had I would say uncertainties uncertainties along the way all the time and we have to solve it along the way and we had a new uh, issue we had to solve it and then something else came so it was very I'd say very interesting and vivid also uh, process of production Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then, I mean, so then when you pitch this to, to potential broadcasters or other partners or or even to the audience that will see it in, in Lille at Series Mania, I mean, how would you describe the show? You know, we watch a lot of Israeli drama now. Is this something very different for international audiences, do you think? Yeah, it's something very, very different because um, the way I experience it uh, on, on myself and with, with people who watch it, people are getting uh, uh, hooked into it very fast and without... without without borders and they feel very very close to the stories and that's why they follow 
the stories and the characters, because it seems like that, you know, it's really happening. It's really happening in front of our, of our eyes, because there are nuances and actions and, and sentences and uh, incidents that you cannot, you probably, you cannot really do in a classical uh, uh, film, which I love. I love cinema and I love television. And that's, I guess, 99.9% of the project will be on the, on the, I would say, the, the classical way. But in, in, this is different because you really can feel the pulse and the rhythm of the characters. You really can feel them. You're very, very close. Mm-hmm. What is it about um, Israeli drama, do you think, that has... Um, taken the world by such a storm in the last, I don't know, five, ten years. You know, obviously we're seeing a lot of remakes of, of Israeli drama, but also the original shows are, are finding audiences around the world. Is there something in the water in Israeli drama that means you, you've, you've got a, uh, you know, the secret source to <laughs> making a hit show? I think, first of all, we, we in Israel, we're living in a very, very complex uh, reality. And we are we are in a fight all the time. We fight for uh, economic, we fight between ourselves, we fight with with, the, with countries around us, we fight with the past, we fight. And, and again, it's a very, very complex society. So a complex society, I believe, brings a lot of stories and sometimes the clashes, the small clashes between the, the groups and the tension and the tension create the stories because that's what we have. Uh, otherwise, we would, you know, dive into uh, into depression. And sometimes stories can enlighten us and really pushes us. And that's and also feed the the creativity. Now I know. The, I mean, it's not only about a, a, a country that uh, full of tension. I mean, even other countries that not full of tension have this creativity. But in Israel, it's it's so, it's dramatic and it it creates uh, this fire that you know. And 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 see the the, the series that uh, that have been uh, success now. I mean. Five is about the Middle East story. And Shtisel is about the ultra-Orthodox community in Israel with all the secrets inside. And uh, Tehran is the Mossad and Iran. So it, it all, we have so many angles. I, I say, unfortunately, I mean, maybe it's good for us, but uh, it's less good for the, for the everyday life. Series Mania has been underway in Lille, France this week featuring an array of high-profile drama commissioners, producers, writers and distributors discussing the hot topics, trends and upcoming hits expected to shape the genre in the coming year and beyond. RTE Head of Drama David Crean spoke to Michael Pickard about the Irish Public Broadcaster's co-production strategy around titles like Kin and Hidden Assets, as well as the challenges of securing returning series in an environment where US streamers are rethinking their budgets. My name's David Crean, I'm Head of Drama at RTE in Dublin. So David, I mean, we're here chatting at Series Mania, the Series Mania Forum, where the industry is gathered in Lille. I mean, just tell us a bit about why you're here. We have, well, we have... Uh, a load of shows obviously all the shows we do at the moment are all co-productions so we have multi-party finance with all of them so I'm here to meet distributors with producers sometimes without producers meet other broadcasters with producers sometimes without producers and just make sure that all of our shows are moving along at the same speed because obviously when we put material into development it's aimed at slots in particular years uh, and they all have milestones they have to get they have to meet or else they miss the target so we're just kind of pushing them along and keeping them together. Yeah. So we've got ranges of loads of different shows. We have from eight parties like Ken started going out last Sunday night on RT1 uh, to we have rolling six parters, uh, Hidden Assets co-production that we do with loads of multi-party finances. We have uh, DCD or the main distributors for it. 
and us and uh, Canadian co-producer and uh, Flanders Funds. There's a lot of uh, money in, money together in that. And we commissioned Series 1, which, which went out. It's funny, it went out off the back of Kin. We had a really golden period in 21 where we had Kin followed by Hidden Assets, followed by Smother, all on Sunday nights in RT1, and they all rated really, really well. So something that's quite punchy like Kin enables a whole range of different types of dramas that come off the back of it. So the audience sentiment towards the shows was so positive that we said, right, we've got to try and make a series two and a series three of Hidden Assets. Uh, and therein, I think, lies the problem for lots of broadcasters of how do you get returnability in a show when you have some investors who are streaming. So Acorn, for example, is, is, an, is a partner with uh, Hidden Assets. Uh, Acorn working into AMC, so their metrics of when they will recommission a show may not be the same as ours. Um, to give shows that work for us the best chance, what I do as soon as something performs really well, I put it into development for the second series. Say to all the partners, we're aiming this for, let's say, September 2023, uh, and if we're going to meet it then, we need to get the scripts developed and move in this particular way, or else we're going to miss our year. And that has sometimes helps the distributors uh, sell the message as well and get a push. So with Hidden Assets, when we did Series 1, it was so strong, uh, and it's it's uh, it's a crime drama that kind of right in the centre of the culture and knows what it is. And uh, we said, let's try and do Series 2 and Series 3 together. So we storylined Series 2, and as Series 2 is shooting at the moment, we're storylining Series 3 at the moment. So that runs along underneath it. So we might have uh, Series 2 in Q3 and Series 3 in Q3 2024. And then we're trying to roll them over that way. Yeah. I mean, what what's kind of informing that co-production strategy then? Is it as simple as we want the biggest budget as possible to put that on screen, so this is how we have to raise that money? Or is it just building those partnerships, perhaps with people you've worked with before? What's what's behind that rather than you just going it alone? Yeah, for me, it's all, it's all about partnerships, really. Um, uh, which is why Series Mania and MIPCOM are so important just to make and cement relationships with distributors who you work with all the time. Like through COVID, we were meeting people on Zoom, which is not ideal, meeting them for the first time. So to meet them in uh, in the flesh, in, in three dimensions, and talk about, just get to know them really, and then get to know about the shows. But what informed the shows is to, well, we were tasked uh, by our director of channels to uh, come up with we said, if you were to ask you to do two returnable series in the autumn, two returnable series in the spring, something for Wednesdays, uh, something for RT2 drama, which is younger skewing, uh, and something for the summer, what would you do? And how would you do that? Uh, and we knew we had, as with all producers and broadcasters, you have to start off with the writers rather than, than the financial parameters. Make sure that we have writers that have something to say, that, uh, that I can look at a schedule and say the shape of our drama has a colour palette that might have Male, male skewed crime at one end, uh, uh, female melodrama in the middle, and then a more general uh, all, all cohorts uh, crime series in the middle. Mm -hmm. But our biggest uh, thing for new series is we had an online uh, series of uh, a, a scheme in a sense called Storyland, which we did as part of our talent and development initiative, which had worked on the RTD player. Very, very low budgets and very, very, I just need to try and target entries, entrance coming into the business. Mm -hmm. And last year we moved that to RTE2 and commissioned three half hours um, with a decent budget for half hour dramas. And we got something like 205 applications, uh, interviewed 40, put nine into development, um, paid for nine, nine developed projects, 
shortlist to five and commission three, and they were really, really strong. So all the writers on that um, and the directors have all gone on to do really good things. Like one of the writers, uh, Sinead Colopy, who did Every Five Miles, has been nominated for an RTS award mm. for Every Five Miles. She's also a writer on uh, she's a writer on Hidden Assets. So it's really about trying to find new writers producers who haven't maybe worked like it was very difficult in Ireland before if we had a sector that was mainly film based it's a big jump to make a short film to producing a returnable TV series so we have to introduce um, producers where possible to the distribution world the wider world of international finance the wider world of broadcasters and uh, and we found that if you give producers the opportunity to meet and mingle and showcase the talent of course they do really well if the core projects are good so that's the main part of my job really to kind of showcase showcase the talent put it in front of people and try and persuade them that it's talent worth investing in yeah no, definitely and so i mean what can you tell us about your slate at the moment what's working what have you got coming up that you're looking forward to viewers getting getting to see um we have so hidden assets is shooting at the moment uh that's six six by one hours with uh really strong cast nora jane noon has joined the cast uh um it's just a really, really strong cast. So that's going to be coming up hopefully in the autumn. We haven't scheduled it yet, so we're not going to commit to the uh, TX date, but it's going to deliver in, in September. We did three series of Smother with uh, BBC Studios and Treasure Entertainment in Ireland. That finished two weeks ago, and the replacement for Smother uh, started shooting last week. So that's shooting at the moment, and that will be ready for Q124. Uh, can you tell us what that is? <laughs> um, I can. It's a it's it's a it's a female detective who returns to the town of her childhood, okay. uh, where a certain set of circumstances uh, may you wouldn't want to come back there if your life depended on it. But she comes back to solve crime, and what she thought had happened to her family in her childhood because it's a drama. It turns out that's not what happened at all. So that's uh, we're planning, hoping to do three series with that. So we're finding with most of the series. When we put them into development, we look at, uh, at a three-series arc from conception. Yeah. So that helps producers and writers plan with certainty, but also the caveat is has to perform. Yeah. But it means that they can arc the stories properly uh, over, say, a bank of 18 episodes, rather than saying we've got to play the banjo at the end of six episodes to get a recommission every time. Yeah. So the assumption is that if it performs well, then it would roll into the next series. Yeah, I imagine that's, um, that's a welcome acknowledgement perhaps from those producers and writers that you're willing to let that story run a bit rather than like you say wait six episodes and and then wait and see if, if it's going to come back at all it's the only way i think it's the only way that you can get something to return because normally if, in the olden days if we were financing something ourselves primarily ourselves you would develop underneath tx so you'd be ready to green light after say two episodes once you had overnights and stuff coming in um but now um we're, we don't rate and work so much on overnights in the same way they're just a snapshot but do much more and consolidated how something works in the player how the long tail of drama works for our audiences and trying to constantly see how viewing patterns are changing for our dramas so we don't wouldn't just measure a drama on overnights alone so for example with the storyland dramas the three half hours that i mentioned before like they wouldn't have rated well at all but they had really good impact and a really good um starting block for producers to try and build a bridge they can start from there and then move on to RT1 on Sunday nights and internationally as well. So we'd hope all of our dramas would work really well in our territory and then play internationally as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're talking a lot about the schedule on Sunday nights. I mean, how 
are you commissioning still for that linear network or are you stream you know commissioning for streaming and, and is it a bit of a mixture how does that play now in your thoughts it, it plays um, it's it's there because Sunday nights are our biggest nights it's, mm. it's, the, it's the best night for drama it has to do the same in, in the UK um, but all our dramas that we uh, our strongest drama we play on uh, Sunday nights at half past nine but for example we play the dry on Wednesdays at uh, at half nine that's their half hours and they perform really really well in the player mm-hmm. um, they the player starts having the effect of the, the linear feed at all so there are lessons to be learned in that but we're kind of fairly cautious and not wanting to to we've got very limited money so we have to make sure we, it, it can go as in front of as many people as possible. Yeah, definitely. And, and so, what are you looking for then? What's on your slate that's missing, or what other kind of shows you're looking out for? We're looking for State of the Nation pieces. We're looking for four parties with impact. So we found that we have so Kin is eight episodes, which is a, a, a number for American financiers, which works really well for them. Most of our dramas will be six returnable six parters. Um, but they can be quite kind of metronomic if, if you see them like, like that and the rhythm of telling six-parters. Um, I, I think you can see the patterns of storytelling in all six-parters, really. Then uh, we're trying to do four-parters that have more impact, so that the more closed four-parter, closed serial, um, non-returnable. Um, and we're finding a lot of distributors are interested in four-parters. Um, we're speaking to UK broadcasters about them and UK distributors with very, very good feedback so far. And we've got one that we're hoping to shoot uh, this year to be, to be played in Q1 2024. So we've got most of the money raised for that and we're just trying to get just enough more to, to get to the budget. Because obviously the budget for a four-parter would be more expensive than for six because you can't amortize yeah. you go into locations once, etc. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, when you ask for a State of the Nation pieces, does that do they lend themselves to kind of the co-production model that you've used so successfully or because they're maybe unique Irish dramas, are they a harder sell to Acorn or whoever else you're working with? Possibly, but we find that if, if they work really well, just with any, if they work really well in our in our territory, then they have an, and it, because they're just rooted to something and a drama is a drama. Mm-hmm. So you're not trying to tell something that can never work anywhere. But sometimes we would put more money into something that we think is only really going to, going, going to play in Ireland. Mm-hmm. But this four-parter that we're making at the moment, I mean, I think if you're trying to think of State of the Nation piece in the UK, that we'd love to have done something like Responder. The Responder, I think, is a story about male mental health, which runs under the cover of cop drama. Yeah. So I think that's a great way to do them. That doesn't make people feel as if they're being asked to eat the vegetables too, too much that they're actually watching a real drama. Yeah. Is there anything you don't want that you think's overdone or overgrazed or that you've done and hasn't worked, perhaps? Um, it's difficult to say. What I would say, I'd, I would love to get stuff with more male, something that's more male skewing. Okay. Um, I think, I think uh, the men in our dramas could be written up a little bit better. So I'd like, I'd like just to have a little bit of balance in that, so it doesn't feel as if our male characters are being written and informed from the point of view of the female ca- characters, which can happen a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't happen in kin at all, uh, but it's just something to be aware of. Yeah. Uh, just ma- making sure that our male characters are represented. We've got a lot of female skewing dramas. Obviously, I'd love to make younger dramas that can reach as wide an audience as possible now. As the player becomes dominant and people watch more dramas on on the player, um, the necessity to perform well, linear, will hopefully recede a bit over time. Yeah, definitely. And, um, I mean, just how do you see Irish drama kind of breaking out across Europe, across in the US, with these co-productions that you're doing? I mean, there's certainly in the UK we're seeing a lot of interest in Irish drama. I mean, is that something you're seeing at home as well? Massively. I mean, I, I, I think the... 
the leap for Irish writers, directors uh, and producers to jump internationally now is much easier than, than ever before. I think I started off with, with, with directors and we had a good few Irish directors who, like Derbla Walsh, tremendous director, has just worked internationally for years. Um, Loads of Irish directors, and then of course our actors Barry Kilgan going from Love Hate, she started off into Banshees of Inishir, and I think when we did an insights uh, panel the other day, other day with a research company, with uh, just random members of the audience, a four men and four women, and they felt a real sense of pride in being Irish, a real sense of pride in Irish drama, and felt that it reflected so positively on them to see Irish directors, producers, and, and actors do really well overseas. Um, that was. I think maybe it's slightly new because just the amount of dramas getting made that has Irish IP attached to it is uh, is increased. I thought it would be my biggest thing is that rather than just just have dramas that would fly in, shoot in Ireland and fly out again, as I think I really want to grow Irish IP by making sure that producers and writers can own their stories together and grow up and sell them internationally rather than just being a, a kind of co-producer that is just just a co-producer facilitator. We really want them to produce their own shows. That's happening a lot. Yeah, yeah. Brian, I was just thinking of other Irish directors. Of course, there are loads. Kieran Donnelly, Brian Kirk. And Chris Ball is an Irish director who's from the north, and he directed a storyland called Dinosaurs in 2017, only 20 minutes long. And then within two years, he had jumped straight from that into doing Tin Star for Amazon. And those kind of vertical jumps that directors can make in Ireland, I think it's more difficult to do them in the UK because they're... The, the, the business is different in the UK. There are so many producers, so many directors that it used to be you maybe you'd work on EastEnders and then get to do a casualty and then get to do spooks and then off you go. But that process could take 15 years. I think for Irish directors now, um, as we found on, on Kin, our, our directors are very young um, and they will just jump from maybe having done a, done a short film which is distinctive straight into a, a streaming series and straight up and up. So the opportunities are there, it's incredible, incredible. Like Peter McKenna, who has written um, all of Ken, who's now writing on Gangs of London, he originated Ken, he's like, just an absolutely tremendous writer. Um, but Peter isn't 25, you know, he's been doing it a while, so he's learned how to how to do his skills, but now he's a proper, like, a proper exec producer, showrunner, writer, creator, really great to work with as well. Yeah, and, and just, I mean, where are you, where are the challenges that are kind of facing you at the moment, either a, you know, locally in Ireland or, or you're seeing internationally, what are those things, that, those obstacles? Is it kind of retaining the talent that you're talking about that's going so, you know, going overseas I, or other things? I don't think, I don't think it's about talent retention because if we were, like we work with Stuart Carolyn, who's an absolutely brilliant writer and uh, I mean, I think Stuart's great and hopefully he will come back and write something for us again. If the property is right and Stuart wants to write it, as long as we maintain good relations with writers, directs, producers, it's always there. Like obviously the, the contraction with American streamers is having a global effect um, and the uncertainty of what American streamers are going to invest in UK and Irish drama and pan-European drama means that everybody's pretty much in the same boat finding it more difficult to, to get finance completed so that's a major avenue gone and um, for the time being but I mean I don't know what's going to happen in the States over the next six months no more than anybody else. A Body That Works is an Israeli drama about the complex web of relationships involved in a surrogate birth from the point of view of the couple desperate to have children and the woman carrying their baby who dreams of the life they have.
The eight-part series features some of the country's leading stars and began airing on local broadcaster Keshet 12 recently, with sibling Keshet International screening it to overseas buyers at Series Mania in Lille this week. Writers Shiro Haddad and Draw Mashani spoke to Michael Picard about the show, inspired by the former's personal experiences, how it mirrors their own writing partnership and the reaction it's received so far. My name is Shira Haddad. Like Draw, we both came from literature. I'm an editor, a book editor, literary editor. And um, we've been working together uh, for 15 years. And uh, about, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, we started um, writing um, things for TV. We, we wrote uh, together a couple of um series which we didn't actually write but we wrote the like the bibles for them and they then they were sold and um and uh, produced uh, one in the states one in mexico and um this is the first series that we actually wrote um from beginning to end we actually wrote all the scripts um for me it was somewhat based on on my personal story since my my child was born through a surrogacy uh, process and so we started working on it six years ago and uh, we just a month ago the um, the show went on air so like she said you know we are uh, we you know we started working together as editors in a publishing house in israel um i went on to writing novels so i i published a few novels and some of them were already adapted for television so i had also this experience of the television you know through the novels but like she said this is the first time that i've co-written a series from the beginning and it's uh so it was a unique and wonderful experience and and i guess for for people listening to this you know we should tell them a bit about the story and i guess simply put it's about a, a couple who have trouble conceiving a child naturally and and turn to surrogacy to to have the the, the child that they've always dreamed of. I mean, how would you describe what happens from that point onwards? <laughs> Basically, you, you know, it's it's a relationship drama of, about the this triangle between the couple and their surrogate, which at some point becomes a like a where like a a fourth character enters into the story. He's a writer who who wrote a book that Ellie, who is the, um, the expecting mother the you know from the couple, she's a book editor and she's editing his book. And, and in a way, um, the process of, of editing this book and, you know, helping it be born in a way, uh, delivered and born, is uh, parallel to the to the surrogacy uh, process. And so it's basically about the fourth and, and everything becomes complicated. <laughs> and why was this? Obviously, you, you, you mentioned that this has some sort of personal connection um, to yourself. What was it about the subject or, or your own experience that kind of drove you to think that you know you wanted to explore that more through a, a TV drama. Yeah, I guess my um, surrogacy experience wasn't. Uh, I mean, luckily for me, it wasn't uh, you know even remotely as dramatic as the one we wrote about. But I did, you know, as I went through it, uh, I did uh, realize the, the dramatic potentials in this story because th- these are people who who normally wouldn't meet each other probably. And when they meet each other, mostly the two women, they each reflect to each other, to the other one, everything 
that she isn't, she doesn't have, you know, that the have and the have nots of this story are very powerful. They come from different backgrounds. So I realized that there's a, a great dramatic potential in this story, even though, as I said, my, my, I mean, my own story was rather boring, but <laughs> I saw the, you know, the, the great story embedded in it. And uh, Dwell and I were already colleagues and, and good friends already at that point and and he you know um he heard about it and we and yeah we started talking about it i mean a couple of years i guess after my son was born and um, <laughs> now we're here <laughs> and what were some of those discussions you had early on so i gather you you co-created the series with shake who's the the director as well so how yeah. did you kind of uh, discuss sort of those early story points and, and how you wanted to explore, you know, I guess obviously a very sensitive subject, but also make it dramatic, make it entertaining? How did you kind of decide how to, to take that path forward with the show? I think that, you know, the point of departure was very clear. I mean, that we start from a story of surrogacy. I think that what was interesting afterwards was to understand what the story is about apart from surrogacy, because it was clear, you know, I, for me personally, as a writer, you know, I didn't go through the process that she had. And so I, I needed, for example, in a very personal way to find other entry points into the story. And then I think that very early on, we understood that it's, it's also a story about parenthood. What is, what does it mean? to become a parent? What are the prices that you're willing to pay in order to become a parent? You know, how far will you go if you want to be a parent? What does it mean? Um, so this is an example for one of the discussions that we had, you know, trying to figure out what exactly are we telling, you know, beside or beyond the story of the surrogacy. And when we meet Ellie and Ido, who are the, the central couple, I mean, I guess for the things to to happen later on, maybe they're not in a particularly strong position at the start. I mean, how would you describe their relationship and, and how do they become, um, I guess, open to, you know, respective relationships with Tomer, the author you, you discussed, and, and Shen, the surrogate mother, they both sort of drift off apart from each other to these other parts of the square, as, as you described. So how would you describe just that relationship at the centre? And, and obviously, they, they have issues, you know, that make them susceptible to, to meeting other people. Yeah, I guess when we meet them, there are a couple that has already gone through many years of uh, fertility treatments. And these treatments, I think they don't realize how much they they affected their relationship. They cracked it in a way um, because I, they do love each other, I think. <laughs> but it put them in a, um, in a really sensitive uh, position, you know, vis-a-vis um, -vis each other. Um, and I think Ido became very, in a way, he became Ellie's parent because she, she since she went through all the treatments and she's the one, you know, suffering the the treatments, the miscarriages. And so he becomes sort, sort of a, a surrogate, in a way, parent to her, a father, to hold her and to, to make sure she doesn't fall apart. And he does it really well and really, uh, he's very good at it. But for their relationship as, as a couple, I think it's not, it's not a good thing. This is something they will both find out throughout the, the season. 
And I think this is a big part of what, you know, makes them go into this, you know, dramatic whirlwind, I would say. <laughs> completely, completely. I think that, you know, part of the the interesting writing process for us was that, you know, we could, you know, have or be in the character's position in the writer's room. So sometimes I could be Do and Sheila could be Ellie and sometimes we could just change the roles and sometimes... so. You're able to see, you know, the points, the different points of view of the characters. And so, yeah, we had a lot of quarrels that was were almost uh, identical to the quarrel that they are having on the on screen. <laughs> and you mentioned, yeah, so you mentioned that you'd never sort of written a whole series before and, and together. I mean, was that the plan from the beginning that you would sit and write all the episodes together? For me, it was very clear that, I, that this wouldn't be a show that... I I would like to, you know, sell as an idea or as a Bible and let someone else write it. It was never an option. But I think, uh, you know, writing is, you never know how something, especially not a TV series, it will be written exactly until you, until you finish writing it. It's something that we also learn as we did it or shaped as we did it. Yeah. Yeah. Were there other people in the writer's room that you mentioned or was it just you two kind of together and, and sort of batting ideas backwards and forwards? Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, at the beginning, the very, very beginning of shaping this idea, I, I worked with a friend of mine who's a um, uh, a film creator called Mo Kaplansky. And later on, we had uh, a very literary uh, writer's room with uh, two authors that are our friends and people who might edit in their books, but but they're also good friends of, of Dor and mine. Um, Ayelet Gundar Goshen and Jonathan Sagiv were both translated into many, many uh, languages and, and their books are also translated so you know they're in some in some countries are very known and yeah so we had a very literary writer's room and uh, it was it was amazing actually <laughs> a very literary and very friendly writer's room how would you say your literary background has helped you kind of write for tv is it just a a, a, a sense of character a sense of structure you know does that translate at all for you or is it do you find it a very different process I think we put, um, so, you know, some of the story, some of our characters are, you know, in the literary world, which is, we found it very nice. You know, we when we began, we had other ideas. In fact, Shira, you know, was wondering for months and months what occupation should she give her protagonist, Ellie. And, you know, she had many, many jobs until she thought, well, why not a literary editor? And, and it enabled us in a way to write, you know, in another, to write our, our lives and our experiences as, you know, writers and editors um, through the character of Tomer and the relationship between Tomer and Ellie. And in a way to create this analogy between the surrogacy process and the process of editing uh, one's novel. And I think it mainly helped us I don't know, Shira, tell me what you think. In in writing the, the dialogues, I mean, we were very, very careful and meticulous, I think, in writing the dialogues. You know, I, I know other television writers were sometimes, you know, they say, listen, you know, we just, okay, we put the dialogues, it's important what we write, but, you know, anyway, the actors are going to shape the language of the characters 
as the as the scenarios are being shot. But we were we were you know choosing every word as if it's really really going to be on screen, which I mean more or less happened. I mean this, the episodes are you know the dialogues right here are more or less what we wrote. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, they're much shorter, obviously. I mean, uh, and um, and I also think I, I guess you asked about you know our perception of structure. I, I think coming from we're both. Dror is also used to be an editor, a book editor, and I think as such, we both, we edit ourselves as we write. So um, I guess that's something, I'm, I'm not sure if it's what you asked, I think it isn't, but, but I'll answer it anyway. I think in some ways, being an editor as well as a writer, uh, it, you know, it holds you back. But but then I, I think in other um, stages of the writing, it's a good thing. I mean, at some point, you know, we were wondering, should we work the early stage? Should we work with an actual uh, script editor? And we realized we're editing each other. We don't need that. And after, and when Shai, um, the director, joined, and he sort of joined, the, first of all, the writing of the, the last two episodes, he was more involved in it already. And um, we all talked about these episodes uh, with him. And also we rewrote the earlier episodes together with him and he's also like a script editor so we were you know many editors involved in this writing process which i think eventually was good yeah. um no, sounds, sounds good and, and and i mean in terms of the partnership that you, you have when you're actually writing the scripts are you kind of in a room together or are you passing scripts backwards and forwards between you or what was the kind of dynamic when you're actually just writing the scripts together we sort of write a very a, a treatment or something between an outline, a step outline, and a treatment depends on the um, on the scene, I guess. But and then we, we work on that together. We worked on it in the writers' room, which we talked about, and and with each other. And you know, we pass that back and forth until we're very very sure about it. And then we call it close the door. I mean, there's a certain point of writing in which we need to be alone. We, I, I, we both feel that the actual action of writing, we, we can't do that together with another person in the room. So <laughs> that's when we each go to our room and mostly I did the first draft and then I, I, I sent it to drawer and we started, you know, passing it back and forth. And I know writers often say they don't like to imagine who will play the characters that, you know, as you're writing them, you don't want that to cloud your judgment, perhaps if you don't get to cast them at the end. But I mean, looking at the cast of, of the show, you really have some of the biggest names in Israel, don't you? Uh, Rotem Sela, Levi, uh, Yehuda, Lioraz, obviously from Fowder, who we know, and, and Gal Malka. I mean, tell us about the casting process. How involved were you in that? And I mean, especially Lior, perhaps from, from Fowder, he's very much against that kind of typecast, isn't he, that we might expect from him as an action hero. So what was the process behind casting for the, the roles of the show? Um, well, Leo, he's actually the only um, actor whom we did have in mind all, all along because the character of Tomer was based on him. Well, I mean, it was remotely based on him or it was what we imagined him to be. And so we we sort of did him a 
pseudo-Leroy's type. And then we said probably he wouldn't be played by Leroy's. <laughs> But then eventually it happened. <laughs> so that was really, really cool. And I think uh, this is a character, he was supposed to have a much smaller part, but we just fell in love with this character. And it became really, it became such a positive and in a way healthy character. I think they're all very, very wounded people. And, and he's the most, you know, wholesome character of them all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to say something about um, we have an amazing cast. I think that maybe after Leo Raz, the one that we cast in our imagination was uh, Gal Malka, uh, the surrogate. Uh, we saw her. It was very funny because we saw her. I think, Shira, correct me if I'm wrong. We saw her in the same evening, um, yeah. you know, in our, you know, bedroom, separate bedrooms in, in a series that she was in. And we texted each other immediately and said to each other, isn't she Chen, the character um, of the surrogate and in fact it was quite early in the in the in the writing process so you know she wasn't casted and we didn't approach her of course at this point we were just you know two writers in a room but we thought about her while writing at least I thought about her, about her while writing in a way writing for her and then when when shy the director uh, auditioned her it was perfect but I think it was partly perfect because we wrote in order for her to be a character yeah and and you know um Yuda Levy and Rotem Sela who play um, Ido and, and Ellie you know we got eventually such a dream team it's it's sort of unbelievable we we I think we we both imagine this is a very you know small intimate show <laughs> we I don't know somehow we we were very lucky because they uh, Ido and Rotem are both you know phenomenal phenomenal actors really and the show I'm, I'm obviously not very objective about the show but I think they they really understand Ellie and Ido in such deep ways that I, I couldn't dream of really when I wrote them. What were some of the challenges that you had in either writing the show or, or following it through production? Were there kind of uh, story sort of lines you had to think about overnight and kept you awake <laughs> or uh, other things that come to mind? You know, and I guess production in Israel, although this was, the, this was a, a good production, but it's always, you know, you're always short of time, short of everything and um, especially of time I, I have to say and and you know so this is all, always a channel a challenge no I don't think that they weren't almost any you know rewritings uh, as we shot the, the, the show there are very few um, either scenes or or moments that we decided as we were sh shooting as shy was directing it to to give it up so we could you know give more time to scenes that were more important i guess this is something that always happens so i don't know i'm not no i don't have a really good answer to your question no but i think i think we did have some very heated arguments during writing that now you know when you ask the question i'm i'm going back to i think that partly because 
I don't know, maybe because of Shira's biographical connection to, you know, where the story came from. So, you know, there were certain things that Shira was very sure about that are going to happen in the story or are not going to happen in the story. And sometimes I wanted to challenge those. So how is this couple going to end? You know, is are they going to end up together after the baby is born? Are they, you know, maybe they're going to separate? We had a lot of discussion over that. Also about, are we going to have a relationship between the surrogate and the father? We were really, really having a lot of arguments about that. And I won't tell you what did we decide. Um, I leave it as a surprise. Um, yeah, so these are the, the, the crisis moments that I remember from the, you know, the whole process. Yeah. And, and what has just the reaction been in, in Israel? Because it's, um, it's obviously a, a hugely emotional debate to, to have you know what what has the the show sparked perhaps among you know people at the water cooler you know have they been talking about it what do you think people when they see the show at series mania will kind of uh, come away thinking about it there seems to be a huge and very emotional response to the show i mean we're both i think overwhelmed with it <laughs> everyone is we realized, uh, I realized how many women, you know, even if, I mean, obviously the surrogacy is quite a rare thing, but women, you know, and, and, and men actually, but, but um, you know, striving and, and fighting in order to, to become parents and, uh, you know, the suffering they go through in order to, to, you know, make this dream come true, it became, you know, uh, obvious how much this is you know all over the place so this is one thing and and of course it, it ignited heated discussion about surrogacy and is it an ethical thing or not and and this is a very uh, heated uh, topic as it is and and it really exploded with the show I think and and in general there's a huge uh, response in, in um, social media to this show it's doing very very good in, in terms of rating. I think everyone is very, <laughs> I don't know if surprised, but it's, I didn't see it coming. Did you, Noah? What I really like about the responses, I get a lot the world real in them. It's like you show the real way to parenthood or you show the real difficulties in becoming a parent, you know, that normally a lot of people were telling me how normally when they watch series about parenthood, how idealized it is sometimes, and how real it feels, the battle that you sometimes have to do, and how real the characters and their emotions feel to them. And I think this is why it is so engaging uh, to Israeli public in the last few weeks. Icelandic producer Ora Runarsson spoke to Michael Pickard about launching new production company Act 4 and its first commission, Volcano, a collaboration with LA-based Upgrade Productions and Croatia's Drugi Plan, announced on day one of the Series Mania Forum. I'm Hordur Runarsson from Iceland, uh, working as a producer for uh, Act 4, uh, but uh, now recently I also started creating and developing my own material and in collaboration with other, others. Um, with me on Act 4 are three partners, uh, Olaf Vetare Olason, uh, Iceland's biggest actor and, uh, and a great 
creative talent and a wealth of experience from international business as well, um, working with and collaborating with a lot of people around the world. Uh, Additionally, we have Jonas uh, Marker Ingolson and Birgit Blair Ingolson, and uh, they have traditionally been in the business writing. They wrote The Minister, they wrote Thin Ice as well, and, uh, and a number of other projects. Uh, Birgit serves as the head of development uh, for the company and, and writing some of the projects, and Jonas is the CEO and uh, running kind of the operations and things like that. So him and I are moving in the opposite direction. I'm moving away from the business in a way, uh, like or the back-end business, and yeah. he's moving into that. And I'm going more creative, and he's going less creative. Yeah. So that's the setup uh, of the company. We do have uh, a group of investors uh, that we got uh, funding uh, to the company, but uh, they're all outside the industry. So it's a it's a private equity. Uh, pri uh, pr yeah. So investors that. Uh, that uh, are uh, professional investors, and uh, they have some, you know, patient capital uh, in the, in, invested in the company, so we can, you know, properly develop projects and uh, move them in the direction we want to, uh, without having to rush. We're not trying to become a a you know a manufacturing company that's that's spitting out projects. We really want to take time to nurture them and develop and and, and properly do so. We have roughly one, maximum two, large productions per year uh, lined up uh, of domestic projects. But then we also additionally have, you know, plans to co-produce uh, more extensively with you know different nations. And and uh, there are no countries off the radar. Uh, it's all about the projects, uh, and we are in a fortunate position to being able to select only the project we really really desire and have passion for and, and burning desire to get to the screen and, and to out to the public this morning we announced the the uh, collaboration with Drugipan Croatia uh, we have a Serbian project on our radar that we're uh, uh, starting to develop um, and then uh, on top of that and I forgot to mention that upgrade productions is of course with us on the Croatian one uh, then we do have uh, some English language projects moving as well with foreign talent uh, developing and leading the, the development. So it's a you know it's an organic English you know speaking project. Um, some have something to do with Iceland, others have not, but we're still actively a part of it. And uh, so that's kind of the three-tiered strategy. You know, local language, fewer, bolder, bigger, better. Um, some strategic collaborations in terms of co-productions and then some English language stuff. That, and it can both be feature films and series, but series is definitely our focus with kind of a three to one maybe, uh, you know, output, you know. So, I mean, you know, people would know you from, you know, your previous role at Glass River yeah. and you had huge international success with a, a couple of shows, yeah. Black Sands among them. I mean, yeah. what was the ambition behind starting up a new company now and, yeah. and what kind of environment do you find yourselves kind of in as, as you sort of start to grow the company? Yeah, so main ambition is to get into more creative things. So uh, I've, I've been dabbling with writing and, and uh, now I'm, I'm, I was part of the creation of Volcano that was announced this morning. I also have a project called Fusion that was commissioned by, is commissioned by Channel 2 in Iceland and we're seeking international partnerships for that. So that was kind of the main drive. Uh, and then just the, the sheer uh, 
quality and experience of the team that approached me when I was leaving uh, Glass River was uh, an opportunity you don't say no to. <laughs> and uh, it was an opportunity to dig a little deeper, to go a little, little bit more into what I was explaining about the strategy, uh, taking time to develop, properly nurturing the content that we're creating, being focused in what we do and not to, uh, trying to do overly much. And then we are able to utilize my experience in the international you know, environment, but at the same time, there, the, my partner's you know, experience as well comes to play. We all have some sort of a creative knack to our jobs, but we also have a dual role with one running the company, one running the development, one running the international financing, and then one uh, kind of a, 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 a throughput of, of talent and experience and, and dramaturgy, actually, to be honest. Like, uh, Oliver Tare has so much experience from you know, being, working with the highest, top quality uh, professionals in the industry. So it's a match made in heaven in a way. Um, our board is also made up of international people within the business and, and not. Uh, an ex-commissioner from Channel 2 is on our board. Uh, and Dana Stern, um, the uh, ex uh, Yes Studios executive, she's on our board. And uh, so we really are trying to do, you know, have the highest quality in everything we do. Uh, including uh, how we assemble the board. So, yeah, we can only look uh, positively towards the future. Uh, I think we've kicked off the company in the way we wanted to. I think we can even say that we are, you know, we sometimes describe it as beginner's luck, but beginner's is not the right word for us in the business, you know, like with all of us having spent a lot of time for it. But uh, Hopefully the luck will continue, um, but I guess it's up to us to try to enforce it in a, in a positive way and being open and transparent and working with people you like and, and, uh, and there are definitely a bunch of them here. Uh, you know, that's a lot of a lot of nice people in the industry that uh, we look forward to working with in the future. Mm -hmm. So, and that's kind of what we're trying to do at the same time. You know, when you have passion behind the projects that you're doing, things will usually turn out better than, than if you don't, if you're only doing it for the financial part of it. And at the same time, uh, to have positive collaborations with others are just, is, is so valuable for you as a human being, you have yeah. to interact with people around the world and learn different cultures and things like that. So. Yeah, yeah. And, and launching, you know, the company this year, I mean, what are those international challenges, obstacles, kind of things that you're facing or you're just seeing in the industry at the moment? I think, uh, I think it's, I mean, with uh, there's a slight, you know, financial turmoil going on um, in the world. I think that's still uh, a slight threat. And usually, when something is uh, shaking, uh, people revert back to older strategies. I guess you know that's that's and you hear some some of international players looking for English-speaking content instead of the foreign language that has been growing the fastest, I guess, in the last few years. But I do think there's. It still will come down to the quality and, and kind of the sheer uniqueness of each project. So maybe the industry right now is not uh, just buying anything. I think that was also a, a pretty weird place to be in a, a few years ago when you kind of felt that everything was snapped up as soon as possible when people were trying to stake ground, uh, you know, especially with all the streamers coming into different territories. And there's always, there's been for a while a certain need to to find the best talent uh, both off the screen but also I mean in terms of creation 
uh, creating material, and uh, but then also uh, sort of on the ground making it happen with uh, the surge in the business. It's it's. I don't think we're keeping up with you know getting more and more people uh, into the business. Uh, we are quite fortunate in Iceland with that that everyone has three or four jobs, <laughs> which is normal for us. And we are quite adaptive and quick to, to get more and more people. And that, the industry has grown immensely over the last few years. So, but you know, we, we do, we have seen challenges in finding the right crews and right people to, to afford, you know, board projects that, uh, because it's so much happening. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's maybe balancing out a little bit in terms of the quantity and then uh, hopefully all the experience will still stay in the business and hopefully we don't take a dive you know, backwards, but I think it's maybe a little bit calmer and uh, which is kind of in line with what we are trying to do. We're trying to not to be rushing projects, uh, not to be doing too much at the same time. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I think we're trying to gear our company both in the term we want to work, but also in, in, in line with the, how the business is operating at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And, and just you know, tee up, volcano for us why is this your first kind of big project why is this going to speak to what you want to do in the future yeah so i think i think the i think uh collaborating across different countries is really really exciting uh i i, I got to know meet neboisha taraba a few years back and he had the idea for the project uh, the producer at Truki plan but it's really uh, fundamentally, it's the project is a social catastrophe with two really different nations in terms of um, values and and history that uh, uh, are coming together and needing to find ways to coexist. With Iceland being really, really liberal and, and progressive, and, and and Croatia uh, not so much yet. I hope that you know, hope it's still coming. But that uh, it provides for a perfect conflict and to kind of mirror a lot what's happening in the world today of, of you know contract contrasting cultures and contrasting even within countries as well like you know in politics the left and right and all that so that's a little bit uh, what we what we strive to or you know it, it tells something about the world it, it reflects something that we're thinking about and discussing all the time and I think the, the project merits a, a perfect foundation for something that people relate to in that essence. So yeah, and then Fusion is, is, uh, is another production that we aim to go for next year, which will probably be announced soon, kind of more broadly. And so they would they aim to shoot summer 24, mm-hmm. uh, Volcano to shoot Kadir, but Volcano will be mainly shot in Croatia. Only like one one episode out of the eight will be shot in Iceland or something like that. So, so yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit different type of project, local, you know, in that sense. Aurora Narsen speaking with Michael Pickard at Series Mania in Lille. That's all for this episode, but you can hear more discussion by tuning in to our C21 FM internet radio station, where you'll find new interviews airing from Monday. The podcast will be back next Friday. In the meantime, stay up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 